Good morning. I am so glad to be able to join you once again this third week uh, that we find ourselves uh, broadcasting live stream uh, here at Ivy Creek. And I'm glad that you have uh, joined us this morning um, amid the restrictions that have been placed upon public gatherings. We feel like this is the, the best thing that we can do. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we have the ability to do what we are doing this morning and having expanded it to the three different platforms that we're using this morning with Vimeo and, and YouTube and Facebook. And so I'm hoping that uh, all of that is working well for you and for your family uh, there in your homes. And it is good to be able to worship together, albeit remotely. Um, uh, it, it, I'm glad we have technologies like this. I'm glad we have these abilities. I'm glad we have things such as Zoom, which many of our Sunday school classes have been using to get together uh, remotely and other small groups have been using. Uh, I, I'm, I'm thrilled that, that these kind of technologies are available, but I have to be completely transparent and honest with you. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to the day when we can all gather together in person once again. Um, I'm looking forward to hearing all the, the voices of my church family, along with all the, the instruments that normally are up here on this stage playing together as together they're making music and praising God and worshiping them, uh, worshiping the Lord together. Uh, I'm longing for the day when we can, quite frankly, stand closer than six feet apart. Uh, I'm looking forward to the day when we can share a hug with one another. And for those of you who still want to, to shake hands. I'm looking forward to the days when things can, can look like that again. Personally, I'm, I'm anxious again to be able to look into the eyes of expectant and hopeful worshipers who fill these empty chairs this morning. Folks that have their Bibles open and their hearts hungry for a word from the Lord. Um, I don't know when that day is going to come. I don't know when it's, ha when it's going to come back and, and when it's going to happen, but I do know this. I'm looking forward to it. I spoke with uh, one of the officials in Gwinnett County on Friday evening after the, the order came out uh, for Gwinnett County, and I wanted to gain clarity with regard to this stay-at-home order and how it would affect our operations here uh, at church. And it was in that conversation that I was assured that being able to live stream to you this morning uh, is allowed under that order, uh, but other of the essential, other than essential church functions, as Ted mentioned to you earlier, uh, are requiring the church staff to to uh, be able to work from home and in order to maintain the social distancing and and to aid the the slowing of this COVID nineteen virus. And it was during that conversation that that I was implored to communicate uh, to our church family just how important. Uh, adhering to this order is for our safety, but also for the safety of our community. But speaking for myself, and, and, and I would imagine I'm speaking for a few others of you out there, it, it, this is hard. Um, it's hard for a number of reasons. Uh, for many of us, at least for my family, we, we tend to live very spread out lives. With, with the activities with which my, my four children are involved, we stay on the go, going to this thing and to that thing and to the next thing. And, and, and with, with the relationships and the responsibilities that Caroline and I have, we, we tend to live very um, mobile lives in which we are always interacting and, and moving. And, but now, over the last couple of weeks, and at least for the next few weeks, uh, we're, we're not doing that. And 
We're sheltering in place. We are practicing social distancing. Um, those, are, those are phrases that, quite frankly, up until the last few weeks, I don't know that I had ever used before or ever even truly considered. But now they're a part of our vernacular. They're what we talk about pretty much in, in every conversation. And, and for many of us, it's probably caused us to feel somewhat secluded and somewhat isolated. And many of you probably feel the same way that I do. And if you are, maybe you're like me and you've considered how such practices affect us as believers. Specifically in light of the series of sermons that we've been engaged in now over the last couple of months. The question that I've been continuing to ponder through my own mind is how do we follow Jesus in times like these? Um, I've mentioned many times one of my favorite preachers to listen to and to follow is, is, is Alistair Begg. And, and Alistair has said this. He says, the Christian life is not supposed to be lived on its own. You're not supposed to live in isolation. Well, I really want us to consider that this morning. I want us to think about that, at least from the big picture perspective. We've been examining the passages in the Gospels where Jesus utters the words, follow me. And today is going to be our last sermon in this series. Uh, and we're going to move really outside the parameters of, that I've, I've tried to hold myself to prior to this. We won't find the exact words, follow me uttered by Jesus in this passage, but I believe the essence of his message will be clear from the exposition of his word. If you have your Bibles with you there at home, and I hope that you do, take them out. Turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. In light of the passage that we looked at last week from John 8 verse 12, in which Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In light of that passage, I want us to consider this morning what Jesus says here in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 5. And just to set the context for you, Matthew 5 records the beginning of Jesus' very famous Sermon on the Mount. And in the first verses of that chapter, we read that Jesus identifies the characteristics of the truly blessed ones who commit their lives to following him. And he does that from verses 3 through verse 12. And this section of, of Jesus' sermon is, is commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. And in them, Jesus describes for us the essential characteristics of a disciple, of a true follower of Christ. But while there is much that Jesus teaches us in the Beatitudes that affect the believer in the interior of who they are, the Beatitudes primarily in many respects deal with the internal mindset uh, with, with regard to the transformation of the heart. Well, we nevertheless, though, realize that, that these Beatitudes are not meant to be lived out in isolation away from the world. In fact, as one has put it, it is impossible to live out the Beatitudes in private because they are powerfully social and outworking when we put them to work. And consequently, we see that Jesus follows this section of the Beatitudes up with with two metaphors that, that really concern how someone who is truly a follower of Christ is to live out those characteristics that he identifies. How, some, how such a one must impact the world around them. And so I'm going to read both of those metaphors to you this morning, but I really want to focus the majority of my attention on the second one. So I'm going to back up and read verse 13 and read down through verse 16 of Matthew chapter 5. Follow along with me there in your Bibles. Jesus says this, you are the salt of the earth. 
But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works. And glorify your Father in heaven. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we are grateful for this day that you have given us to be able to assemble ourselves together in this way so that we may open your scriptures and read them for ourselves and then be able to ponder the truth that you communicate to us through them. And I pray that you give us clarity in our thinking this morning, that you would drive out whatever distractions may be there. And Lord, right now there's all kinds of distractions in our lives. But I pray that you'd help us to be able to take just a few moments this morning and to concentrate on your holy word. Help us to be able to see you for who you truly are, the light of the world. And then help us to be able to see what our responsibility is in light of our relationship to you. Father, if you do this, then I know that you will strengthen us and that you will empower us to actually be the disciples that you've called us to be. And that's what our true desire of our heart is. And so we thank you for it this morning and we praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen. As I said, Jesus identifies in this passage two metaphors that, that should describe his followers. The first one is there in verse 13. Uh, Jesus says that his followers are the salt of the earth. Kent Hughes, he, he is... He has put it this way. He says, those who are true followers of Christ function as salt by retarding decay and then also as acting as a preservative. He says, Jesus was saying, in effect, humanity without me is a dead body that is rotting and falling apart. And you, my followers, are the salt that must be rubbed into the flesh to halt the decomposition. In other words, the true Christ follower is, is here on earth to prevent the world from, from going completely bad. Now, that's the first metaphor, and, and there's much that we could say with regard to that subject. But in light of, of last week's sermon in which we, we read that Jesus declares definitively, I am the light of the world, well, then I want us to focus our attention and contemplate the second metaphor that Jesus talks about beginning in verse 14, where he declares this. He not only says in John 8, verse 12, that I am the light of the world, but then in Matthew 5, verse 14, he says, you are the light of the world. Now, how are we to understand that? Well, we must recognize that as the light of the world, Jesus calls men, women, boys, and girls to come and to follow him. And when we obey Jesus and when we do that, then we recognize that what we're doing is more than just, that's just simply tagging along behind Jesus. Rather, following Jesus really means that we are to follow him for who he is. And as John Piper has put it, to follow Jesus means to be so taken with him that you join yourself to him. And if we have learned anything in, in our study over the past couple of months of these, these follow me passages that we've looked at from the Gospels, I think we've learned that. It means that we are connecting ourselves. We are joining ourselves to Jesus. And, and as we noted last week, Jesus says that when we join ourselves to him, 
we will truly, when we forsake all, of, all else and when we follow him, then we will never walk in darkness, but we will have the light of life. In other words, those who truly follow Christ will possess the life of Christ and the light of Christ in themselves. And they'll be able to reflect that light out to the world around them for the glory of God. In fact, that's the first point on your outline that I want you to see this morning. It was emailed out in that email you should have received earlier this week. If you just happen to be there and you don't have that and taking notes, the first, the first thing that I want you to note this morning is just this. Followers of Jesus reflect his light. Followers of Jesus reflect his light. I believe that's the important connection that exists between John 8, 12, where he says, I am the light of the world, and Matthew 5, 14, where he says, you are the light. Of the world. Jesus is the true light of the world, and we who follow him are able to reflect his light into the darkened world around us as we obey his commandments, as we live according to his teaching, and specifically as we tell others about him. Now, just as we saw last week, I think it bears repeating that Jesus' use of this metaphor of life, of light, in reference to those who follow him is also a commentary with regard to the world. You see, if those who follow Jesus are the light of the world, then, then that means that there is a distinction between them and the world around them. In other words, the world is darkness, it's in darkness, but those who have been united to Christ, those who have made the commitment to follow Jesus, well, the Bible says that we have been brought out of that darkness into the light. Paul states it this way in Ephesians 5, verse 8. He says, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. He makes a very similar statement in the letter to the Colossians, the first chapter, beginning in verse 12. Paul gives thanks to the Father who has qualified us. And then he says, he's qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So that is who we are as followers of Jesus. We are those who have been called out of the darkness into the light of Christ and we now reflect that light into the darkened world from which we have been delivered. And it is that realization of who we are that tells us what we are to do. In other words, our identity in Christ actually reveals what our function as Christians is to be in this world. Notice with me the second point there on your outline. It's this, followers of Jesus dispel darkness. Followers, are, followers of Jesus dispel darkness. Think about it for just a moment. If, if as followers of Jesus we reflect the light of Christ, then necessarily we will be engaged in dispelling darkness. After all, that's what light does. It, it drives out darkness. Darkness cannot coexist with even a little bit of light because light pierces darkness. So, so since that's the case, since, since light reveals all that is shrouded in darkness and since light brings out into the open the things that were once concealed, then as Christians, that's what our responsibility is to do. We are to expose to the world that the darkness that encases it is due to sin and it's due to mankind's estrangement, mankind's separation from God. Let me say this to you. While, while we in our current climate and in the world in which we are living right now, 
we're doing everything we can to preach social distancing and to practice it in order to to stop the spread of COVID-19 and to save lives, we need to recognize that there is a social distancing that the Bible declares that is eternally detrimental to your soul. The scriptures teach us that because of sin, all people everywhere are alienated from God. We are distanced from Him. And we stand condemned before Him. And as such on our own, all of us are locked into our own darkness. But the good news is that Jesus Christ has come to remedy that. He has come to provide the solution to that social distancing that each of us can then have with God. We can can now be drawn near to Him. And Jesus has done that by paying the penalty for our sins through His death on Calvary's cross. And for those of us who have trusted in what Christ has done for us and we have been saved from our sins and we've we've had that distance between God and ourselves eliminated because of what Christ has done. Well, now then our function, our responsibility as believers and as followers of Jesus is to spread that news. That is how we dispel darkness. We share the message of hope that Jesus brought. And we do that by revealing to the world its sin and by exposing its darkness and its causes and then by pointing others to the way out of that darkness by pointing them to Jesus. So so this is who Jesus says that we are if we're his true followers. We are those who reflect his light and we are those who dispel darkness. And it's absolutely necessary that we understand our identity And our function, especially when we consider what Jesus says next. Notice that Jesus says in verses 14 and 15, he says, A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. What Jesus says here brings us to the third point that I want you to note on your outline. The third point is this. Followers of Jesus never conceal their light. Followers of Jesus never conceal their light. I want you to consider what Jesus means by these words. If we are, if we're going to truly follow him, if we're, if we truly have the light of life in us because we've been united to him through faith, then we cannot be hidden any more than a city set on a hill can be hidden. If we are true Christ followers, Who we are will determine what we do. And it will become evident to all who are around us that we belong to Jesus. And furthermore, Jesus says to light a lamp and to put it under a basket so that no one can see it. Well, that accomplishes nothing because the lamp dispels no darkness. According to verse 15, Jesus indicates that to do such a thing would be acting foolishly because it would render the light useless. And what that tells us is that light is designed to illuminate. It is designed to dispel the darkness around it. And if it ceases to accomplish that function, then it's of no use. I want you to consider this. If the Lord has saved you by his marvelous grace through faith in what Christ has done, through his death and his burial and his resurrection, then he has lit you up to be a lamp in a dark room. He has has made you to be visible just as a city on top of a hill is visible. 
so that everyone can see it. He has acted graciously toward you and mercifully toward you, not only for your own good, but also because He wants you to shine to your best advantage so that others may also know of the same goodness and the same forgiveness and the same mercy that God has toward them. And therefore, I would, I would plead with you, do not hide who you are. Don't be so timid that you're afraid to speak up about your faith in Christ. Don't allow yourself to become intimidated by the world. Might you experience resistance and, and ridicule? Absolutely. In fact, Jesus states just a few verses earlier, back in the Beatitudes, that, that those who are persecuted will be blessed. And what that assumes is, is that persecution will come whenever we unite ourselves to Christ. He experienced persecution, and he says, if it happened to me, it will happen to those who follow me. But look, don't be afraid. Don't conceal your light from the world. If you do then how else will the, Lord, will the world and those who are trapped in the darkness of their own sin, facing eternal separation from God, how will they ever come into the knowledge of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? Unless we who are his followers, unless we shine forth for his truth and for his glory, unless our testimony through our deeds and through our words give glory to him and, and speak of the, the grace and the mercy that he offers, then how else will we be able to fulfill the command of verse 16 where Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven. Listen, it is important that we understand this was not a suggestion that Jesus made. This is a command he doesn't give us an option with regard to our responsibility. He tells us that our light is to shine forth to the world around us through beautiful, attractive works. But notice that our doing of good works is not simply to attract attention to ourselves. Self-promotion is not our ultimate goal. We're not to become so self-conscious and so self-consumed that we are always wondering if people are noticing what we're doing so that they can come along and pat us on the back and tell us that we've done a great job. No, the psalmist David said this in Psalm 115 verse 1, Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Nevertheless, I think we would be remiss and we would fail to understand the full teaching of the New Testament if we didn't realize that our lives are to be lived in such a way so that others will notice and so that they would notice in order that their lives might be patterned after ours. You know, I've asked this question before, but have you ever wondered why God allows believers to Go on living in this world after they've been saved. I mean, if, if we're no longer citizens of this world, but we are now citizens of heaven, if we've truly been transferred from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, then, well, then why doesn't God just go ahead and take us to heaven? Why keep us here in the midst of this darkened world? Well, in these verses, we have at least a significant part of that answer. You see, our Lord in his sovereign, infinite wisdom has left us here to shine. He's left us here to have influence upon this world out of which you and I have been saved. And the light that he has placed within us is to penetrate the world so that others might be drawn to our Savior. 
But let us not forget that our lights must also shine so that we can make an impact and influence other Christians and followers of Jesus. In fact, that's the last point that I want you to note on your, on your outline. The last point is simply this. Followers of Jesus should be worthy of following. Followers of Jesus should be worthy of following. If others are to see our good works and they are to glorify our Father in heaven, then that necessarily means that we will be setting an example that we would be happy for others to emulate. Consider the number of passages in which the Apostle Paul sets himself up as an example for others to follow. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 15 through 17, we read these words, For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. And then Paul says this, Therefore I urge you, imitate me. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1, Paul repeats the same thing. He says, imitate me just as I imitate Christ. To the church in Philippi, in chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes, Brethren, join me in following my example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. Philippians 4 verse 9 says this, What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. To the church in Thessalonica, in 2 Thessalonians 3 verses 7 and following, he says, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us. For we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread free of charge, but worked with labor and toil night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have authority, but listen, to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. Now, to some, that may sound arrogant. It may sound as if the Apostle Paul was some sort of braggadocio who was just full of self-promotion, but that's not the case. In saying these things like he did to these churches, Paul is not attempting to, to, to tell the people of Corinth or Philippi or Thessalonica to follow him in order to make himself the primary focus of their attention. No. Paul is modeling for us what Christian discipleship looks like. And he's saying that it's by following me that you will end up following Christ as well. D.A. Carson, who is a noted author and he's a professor and he's a theologian, he writes in his book entitled From the Resurrection to His Return, Living Faithfully in the Last Days, he asks this question. He says, do you ever say to a young Christian, do you want to know what Christianity is like? Then watch me. Carson says, if you never say those kind of things and you never ask those kind of questions, then you're being unbiblical. Listen, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul encouraged his two young protégés, Timothy and Titus, to do. 1 Timothy 4, verse 12, Paul says, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in the word, in conduct, in love, in spirit, in faith, in purity. To Titus, he says in Titus 2, verse 7 and 8, In all things, show yourself to be a pattern of good works and doctrine, Showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned. 
that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. Now, I've taken the time to, to point out all of these passages to you this morning so that we can understand that when Jesus says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven, what that means is that to be a follower of Jesus, you should live your life in such a way that it is worthy of following. Matt Chandler has stated this way, throughout the New Testament we learn the important reminder that our faith, though it is personal, was never meant to be private. In other words, my personal relationship with Jesus, your personal relationship with Jesus was never meant to be played out in the privacy of our own minds and our own hearts. Rather, when we live out our faith, we become examples to others in order that we might show them what following Jesus actually looks like. And in doing so, we actually reveal to others the authenticity of the faith that we claim to have. I mentioned D.A. Carson in that same book that he writes. He, he goes on to offer this advice. He says, you who are older should be looking out for younger people. And saying, in effect, watch me. Come, I'll show you how to have family devotions. Come, I'll show you how to do Bible study. Come on and let me take you through some of the fundamentals of the faith. Come, I'll show you how to pray. Let me show you how to be a Christian husband and father or wife and mother. D.A. Carson's words are very convicting. And ultimately, Brothers and sisters, what we come to realize from the scriptures is this. If we are true followers of Jesus, we must not be ashamed to look at someone else and say to them, come on, watch me and follow me as I follow Christ. All of that then leads me to my sermon in a sentence this morning, which is this, following Jesus necessitates reflecting the light of Christ to the world and setting an example worth following so that Jesus may be glorified through you. Following Jesus necessitates reflecting the light of Christ to the world and setting an example worth following so that Jesus might be glorified through you. So let me ask you, in light of that this morning, is your light shining? Is your lifestyle one that is worthy of imitating? If not, then why not? Perhaps that is the case because for some of you, maybe the light of the glory of Jesus has never actually penetrated your heart. Perhaps you've never truly committed your life to following Jesus. If that's the case, then I want you to know that the distance that exists between you and God will never be closed by your own works. It'll never be closed by your own actions or your own merits. When you die and when you stand before God, he will not weigh out your good, the good things that you have done against the bad in order to determine whether or not you will enter heaven or be cast into hell. Rather... The Bible clearly declares that all who are saved will be saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. 
Our salvation is not of works. So no person will ever be able to stand before God and boast in themselves. In fact, the scriptures plainly tell us that any who come before God in pride will be cast down. Those who humble themselves, those who acknowledge their sin, those who acknowledge that they need Jesus to save them, Well, the scriptures are clear that God will be gracious and will be merciful to them, not because they have done something to deserve it, but because of what Christ has done on their behalf. Listen, I have no greater news than I can share with anyone than this, that Jesus Christ, the light of the world, has come to dispel the darkness and to bring you light and to bring you eternal life. The question before you today is simply this. Will you trust him? If you will admit that you are a sinner and that you will ask Jesus to save you, he will. And if you would like for someone to talk to you about that, if you would like for someone to pray with you about that, as, as Pastor Ted mentioned earlier, we have a number that you can call, a phone number where you can call and leave a message. You'll be prompted by someone to leave a message and then that message will get to the pastors and the staff of this church, and we would be happy to get back with you. That number, you may want to write it down, is 470-238-8862. 470-238-8862. We've also, as he mentioned earlier, we've created a digital response card that you will find there on our website. And you can click on that and you can fill it out and submit it, and someone will get back in touch with you. We want you to reach out to us so that we can reach out to you with the good news of the gospel of Jesus. I hope that you will do that. If you have trusted in Christ, if you have committed your life to following him, you know, the same same question still needs to be asked. Are you reflecting his light to others? Are you dispelling darkness? Is your life one that is worth imitating and following? If not, then I want you to know, practically speaking, the gospel is not central to your life. It may be that you have forgotten who you are in Christ. Or or perhaps you have forgotten that as one who has made the commitment to follow Christ, you are no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. If so, then I want you to know that today is the day that you should repent of that. And, And you should confess that before the Lord and you should turn back to him. The responsibility of every believer is to allow the light of Christ to shine through them and to remove whatever barriers there may be in our lives that would conceal that light from others. The final thing that I would say to you this morning is simply this. When I began this sermon series some nine weeks ago, I had no idea the impact that it would ultimately have on so many with whom I have spoken and shared text messages and emails back and forth. And I certainly had no idea at that time that this series of sermons would come to a close in the middle of a time when, quite frankly, all of us are sequestered in our homes and our social interactions have been limited to being primarily among our immediate family. But I know this, I know that God knew that. And I believe that he never makes mistakes and that he works all things together for our ultimate good and his ultimate glory. So let me ask you, what are the ways that 
you will seek to let your light shine before others. Specifically, in light of our current situation, how will you let the light of Christ shine through you in front of your family, in front of those that are closest to you? What are some ways that you as a family can can choose to demonstrate the love of Jesus to yourselves and to others? Perhaps once this live stream is concluded this morning, you as a family can discuss these issues and make a plan for how you will commit to act upon them. You know, in many ways, all of our lives have been turned upside down by the effects of this COVID-19 virus. But rather than letting it become something that shuts us down as followers of Jesus, we must let it be something that lights us up so that others may be drawn to Jesus and so that we may give an example to them that they can follow. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of God and it is for the people of God. Would you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the fact that it draws us and continues to to pull us into a deeper relationship with you. And even though right now everything in our lives have been upended and we've kind of been turned upside down, your word has not changed and its call upon our lives has not changed. And you are still calling men, women, boys and girls everywhere to follow you. My prayer is, is that your gospel message will continue to make an impact in their lives and that today would be the day that many might come to a full understanding of your love and your mercy and that they would also come to an understanding of their sin that has separated them from you and that today would be the day that they would confess their sin before you and that they would trust in Jesus Christ and him alone to be their personal Lord and their Savior. But that it would not remain just something that was personal, but that their light would begin to shine in the the avenues and the, the, the ways that you give them the opportunity with their family and in their neighborhoods. And ultimately, Lord, when, when, when your timing is right, that we will still be able to go out into all the world and let our light shine before all those others. And I pray that that would happen so that others would come to know you as their Savior, but also so that you would be glorified in our lives. We ask this and we pray this in the name of Jesus for his sake. Amen. Thank you once again for joining us this morning. Uh, Again, I look forward to when we can get back together. I want you to know I miss you. I love you. I can't wait to see all of you again. Uh, We're going to gather back here again this next Sunday morning, the Lord willing. Uh, at 11 o'clock, and we're going to uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so I hope that that you'll be ready for that. We'll send out some information together, and I'll be leading us from here as a church family together. But uh, I would hope that that you would be looking for emails and communication and, and continue to look for some of those devotions that we'll be sharing the rest of this week. And in the meantime, I pray that God's blessings will be upon you, and I thank you once again for joining us this morning. May God bless you, and have a wonderful day.